Middle family, if I'm honest, the word peace calls out to me almost violently in today's passage. It's said four times. It almost feels like it's attacking me. Now, it wouldn't feel that way, of course, if we didn't feel so far from anything peaceful right now. We've already named things in the chats. Our hearts are with Haiti and Afghanistan and flooding in Japan. And how many of you are feeling a new wave of pandemic fatigue? After a month or two of trending in a good direction where we felt okay taking off our masks and seeing vaccinated friends, this Delta variant has come in like a wrecking ball. Now you've seen the memes. What's your favorite one? Put it in the chat. I know you know them and they're not lying. Just when we thought we could ease up, we're met with deeply concerning rising numbers and reports of greater sickness and transmission. When going back to school, as Natalie has mentioned, should be a time of celebration. Parents in Tennessee are attacking the cars of pro-maskers. And after just two days, a Florida district has asked 440 students to quarantine and saw four teacher deaths. And y'all, there are no more beds in the pediatric ICU in Texas. I'm talking about if a baby or a child needs to have an emergency anything, there is no room. We are failing our children. We are abusing our healthcare workers. We are in a state of moral crisis. We are not at peace. Middle, you sent myself and a few others to Tijuana a few years back to bear witness to the atrocity at our Southern border. There we sang together a nightly refrain. The chorus went like this. I'm not gonna sing it. When the world is sick, can't no one be well, but I wish we were beautiful and strong. And that's where we are, isn't it? The world is sick in so many ways. So none of us are well. But you see that right there is the thing. Not everyone shares that sentiment. Not everyone feels the interconnectedness of not only this moment, but every moment. Not everyone understands that it will take a global collective collective effort of care, science, personal and public health to get us through. We here today understand that when one is sick, all are sick, at least we attempt to, but it feels like an uphill battle. It's beginning to feel futile. In despair, we bow our heads. Who's bowed your head this week? There is no peace on earth, we say. Nevertheless, today's passage reads, he is our peace, he makes peace, he proclaims peace. Again, what's happening all across the world is not it. It's clear to me that though peace is promised to us, we are very far from it. Ephesians is thought to be written during the late first century CE, during a time when churches needed to find a way to live under the Roman Empire. It was a period that was very pluralistic and overwhelmingly Gentile within the Christian community. Now, notable theologian Elizabeth Schulze-Fiorenza rightly reminds present-day Christians to remember our own past in relationship to Judaism as we read this passage. We must be very mindful in our reading not to reinforce anti-Judaism teachings that dismiss Jews who did not recognize Jesus as Messiah. An incorrect understanding of this passage is to infer Christian supremacy onto it. Now, churchgoers were fighting with each other about everything. Thus, the primary purpose of the letter was to address division. The verses directly preceding the ones for today highlight the argument over circumcision, 
which by the way, is a reminder of the patriarchal lens of the time. Communities are addressed and defined through the cis male religious experience only. Now division, it turns out, causes unrest. It's the lack of peace. As churchgoers also divided on so many things today, let's continue reading. He is our peace and in his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is hostility between us. Now we don't talk about flesh a lot, do we? Flesh feels, especially in my experience to whiteness, taboo, not relevant, secret, scandalous. And yet in his flesh, we are united. In his flesh, peace is possible. In his flesh, walls fall down. So let's talk about this flesh. Jesus's flesh is a certain kind of flesh. You've heard Jackie say this before. It's an Afro-Semitic flesh. The particularity of his flesh is important because it's a multiplicity of flesh. Biblical scholar Cain Hope Felder reminds us that the Bible is full of racial and ethnic diversity. And noting that is a first step towards correcting Eurocentric interpretations, i.e. white supremacy onto the text. We get to peace through the particular flesh of this poor brown Afro-Semitic revolutionary. The multi-ethnic person of Jesus was on purpose from God to eliminate ethnic-based hatred to eliminate anemone based on wealth, to eliminate anemone based on gender, based on status, based on ability. And if we aren't particular about this, the dividing walls will stay up. We'll have people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be Jesus followers, who claim to love God, refusing vaccines in the name of God and claiming that masks are covering up the face of God instead of revealing God's love. We'll have people who claim to be Christians protesting critical race theory. We'll have people who claim to be Christians still stand behind the former president, even after everything he did, even after igniting an insurrection, we'll be divided. We'll be without peace if we aren't particular about this flesh and what it teaches us. I think M. Sean Copeland says it best. If my sister or brother is not at the table, we are not the flesh of Christ. If my sister's mark of sexuality must be obscured, if my brother's mark of race must be disguised, if my sister's mark of culture must be repressed, then we are not the flesh of Christ. For it is through and in Christ's own flesh that the other is my sister, is my brother, we would add is my sibling, indeed, the other is me. Copeland forces us to think theologically about the body. The body is where race, gender, and sexuality reside. They are revelatory of each other. But society uses these elements to shape violent, divisive hierarchies. Any white colonized reading of the Bible has created such hierarchies and false stories that have led us to this very moment. This moment where peace seems impossible, where the walls are too high to even envision or invite conversation, 
White supremacy, Christian nationalism, the patriarchy have created an incorrect story about who God is, who Jesus was, one that erases his very flesh, thus eliminating the possibility of peace. Friends, what's happening right now with religious and political posturing over basic human rights and standards is in direct opposition to who Jesus was, to who God is. We get to the presence of shalom, to shalom, to totality, because a multiracial poor person abolishes division. And until white Christians, white America can get honest about the particularity of Jesus, we will continue to be divided. Friends, there's even more to this promise of peace. His flesh, his particular flesh, has the power to unify us. Natalie mentioned that earlier as well. But not in uniformity, not in erasure, not in blurring boundaries or making everybody the same in every way. This ain't oatmeal, Daryl taught us last week. But what we're talking about here is reconciliation. The reconciliation between human beings and God, God's self, that Jesus achieved by his death on the cross. It's because of this reconciliation between us and God that peace with another can happen. Now, I know that's a lot, but it's our promise. It's our hope. It's our work. In our multiplicity, suddenly, in place of Jews and Gentiles, in place of boys and girls, in place of Republicans and Democrats, in place of the haves and the have-nots, in place of all the tired binaries you can think of, we have in his flesh a whole new community of revolutionary lovers because we all belong to God through love. The dividing wall is hostility, not the differences. And through his flesh on the cross, that hostility is no longer relevant. How so? Because Jesus abolished the very thing they were fighting about. He abolished, now this is from the scripture, I'm not making this up, the law with its commandments and ordinances. Now the law of the commandments and ordinances is talking about a particular way that the law of Moses was understood and used by the Jewish people. It was seen as a set of commandments that was interpreted and expressed in these kinds of hostile decrees and ways. But through this fleshy particular Jesus, it was made crystal clear that any aspect of the law that was going to be used for ill towards people was not actually the law of God at all. Through him, the law is now only for the purposes of love, for the purposes of good. So whenever a law harms, it is not the law of God. Any law that functions to exclude Gentiles or black people or indigenous people or Asian people or trans people based on their ethnic or cultural or sexual identity is not of God. Any law that harms any child of God is not actually of God. And I know some poverty wages that harm. And I know some transphobic laws that harm. I know some abortion laws that harm. I know some constructed self-worth laws that harm. Praise be to God that God chooses to reveal her love to us by abolishing any law that separates, any law that harms, any law that does not seek good, thus making the way for peace and the possibility for us to get along. 
Maxime Grossman lays it out. Inasmuch as Christ abolished the use of the law to separate, the room for relational healing and reconciliation is created. So friends, hear me out. The world is heavy, but the promises of God are good. The world is unpeaceful at times, but our hope is peace. Our story is reconciliation. Our potential for relational healing is great. Laws that breed hate in any form are abolished under the promises of God. And we, our text concludes, are dwelling places of God. Peace and reconciliation, liberation and freedom come when we are the embodied multi-ethnic community of revolutionary lovers called to create a house of God where all can live in peace. And that's the reason that middle is so powerful. This is us. That's why you are so powerful. You and your particularity, you and your flesh are important. We get to mess up and try again together. In fact, every Sunday, we come together to say, peace be with you, thereby rehearsing the reign of God on earth. We are speaking into the world that which is our hope, that which we are accountable to, peace. So peace be with you, friends. Amen.